This is Unsuitable with Mary B. Saferit, Episode 5.9, False Narratives, Communication, and Being Single in the Church. Welcome to the Season 5 Wrap-Up episode, in which I tie all the season's interviews together with a story and a few nuggets of insight. I'm your host, Mary B. On today's episode, you'll hear about how communication and community go hand-in-hand, the importance of challenging our assumptions, and how the idolatry of marriage affects long-term singles in the church. So, let's dive in. Why are you single? You're really cool. The question was thrown out casually, but hung in the air between my friend Jason and I. It wasn't the first time this question was tossed my way. Every time, I'm never totally sure how to answer. I considered the question. I supposed that I was a relatively functional and personable human female, though cool is not a word I would typically use to describe myself. Regardless, I didn't totally follow the logic. Was there a particular reason I wasn't dating anybody? To me, it seemed like a mere fact of my existence. Was there supposed to be some underlying conclusion to be drawn from my status as single? Did it indicate to other humans that there must be something wrong with me, some deep-seated dysfunction or ailment that prevented nice boys from shooting their shot? I didn't care for the idea of people worrying about me simply because I was romantically untethered. It all seemed very complicated and messy, and not a matter of a straightforward cause and effect. Jason's question, though well-meaning, felt laden with subtext I didn't feel equipped to wade through at that moment. Language is an interesting thing. While a person may ask something like, Why are you single? thinking their intention is to compliment, we might hear that question through an entirely different filter. As Alicia said in episode 5.1, anytime we're talking to another person, we're engaging in some form of accommodation, some form of trying to be understood and understand another person. The way we understand and hear certain phrases or questions carries the history of those phrases and questions. So when Jason asked, why are you single? I didn't just hear Jason asking, but every well-meaning person who has asked me that question over the course of my life. That question, posed over and over, started to grate on me, and over the years of considering my response, I started to think that there might be something wrong with me because I hadn't been chosen by a romantic partner. Why else would all these people be asking? But I found it most vexing when I heard it at church, the place where I also regularly heard that our most important relationship was with Jesus. In spite of this teaching, many church people seemed to be particularly concerned about my relationship status, and that cognitive dissonance never sat well with me. See, whether I'm at a bar or at church, I don't seem to fall into anyone's bucket of who I should be as a woman— I'm not a wife or a mother. I'm not sexually active. I'm not sad that I'm single. I'm not anti-marriage. I'm not a threat to the institution of marriage. I'm not a stumbling block for men. I'm not particularly girly. I do not exist to make those around me comfortable at all costs. And it seems like people don't know what to do with that. And maybe you feel that way too. Like you don't fit into anyone's box of who they think you should be. 
like how you experience life as a single Christian should look a particular way. And when you communicate anything outside of that, the platitudes and passive-aggressive glances come out. I think many of us want singleness to be one thing, a concrete problem with a concrete solution, when in reality, it's a million things. The quote-unquote single experience is as nuanced as the humans living it. And so to talk about one is to talk about the other. They can't be separated. There are commonalities, and there are definitely particularized challenges that arise from not having a romantic life partner. And yet, our lives are filled with meaning and joy as well. As Grant said in episode 5.8, A lot of church communities just really don't have the moral imagination to think about how celibacy and singleness might be fruitful and life-giving and fulfilling. If we approach the problem of singleness as one that must be addressed by making all singles unsingle as quickly as possible, we've missed the point. If our solution is that singles need to cut themselves off from the painful parts of singleness with the pat answer that Jesus is enough— We have also missed something. Our picture of the single experience is far too limited, and the way we talk about it reveals that limitation. This season, communication was a big theme, not only just in talking about language and empathy with Alicia, which was awesome, but also how Abby and Carla and Niley all talked about how to ask for what we need. Terry talked about how he has learned to reach out shamelessly to friends when he's struggling. Kendall described the particular way eating together as an act of worship opens the door to more authentic conversation and connection. One big barrier I've noticed to productive conversations about singleness is assuming instead of asking, and I'm definitely guilty of this too. Instead of curiosity and compassion about an experience that might be similar or different from ours, our assumptions can cause us to react in a way that shuts down the conversation and understanding. But communication is a vital part of cultivating authentic relationships, which we all need, but people who are single benefit from an experience in a specific way. In episode 5.2, Jonathan said, there's something about a family that is helpful being a single person in the city. I always feel like I'm getting the biggest benefit. So this is true on the personal level, but also operates on a cultural level. We might want our churches to have a culture of belonging and connection for all its members, but we might also overtly or implicitly centralize one experience over another. In episode 5.5, Terry said, Single folks that are worshiping members of congregations don't hear their experiences reflected or lifted up in the space of corporate worship or even other places of the life of the church. As someone who has dedicated her business to helping single Christians thrive, I have to admit that I'm often frustrated by the ways that the church falls short. While I acknowledge that it will always fall short, I also see the astronomic potential those who are single have to offer. And so when I experience or hear about singles feeling alienated and invisible in their churches, I get fired up because it's so far from the type of community the church was created to be. The church, whose very foundation is a man who spent his time on earth unmarried, was never meant to be homogenous. 
I have often heard singleness communicated as a problem. And in a church culture that idolizes marriage, it's easy to see how we got there. But for me, I don't think that singleness in and of itself is the problem. And at the very least, not one that is fixed by making everyone unsingle. The problem is the number of singles who feel undervalued, underrepresented, and invisible in the church. It's not a problem that can be addressed by quick fixes and easy answers. Trustworthiness and steadfastness take time to demonstrate and cultivate. And the solution starts with each of us. We're talking about a cultural shift, and those are never easy, particularly within an institution. But the good news about culture is that we get to make it. We each get to buy in and determine what the culture will be. We have the guidance of scripture. We have the Holy Spirit working in and through us to extend grace to one another as we collectively and communally are transformed from one degree of glory to another, as Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 3.18. For the singles having their dating app profiles ogled over by married friends like they're something alien, the ones who ultimately leave the church because it's clearly communicated that they have no place in it, the ones who have not been able to name their particular struggles, and the ones who cannot see the joy, we have to do better. If we want to build a church freed from the crushing idolatry of marriage, we have to start seeing singles as those who have already been made whole in Christ, as essential members of the body who have valuable gifts to contribute to the work of the kingdom of God. And we singles have to unlearn and let God rewrite our internalized false narratives. That day, when Jason asked why I was single, I looked at him and considered the myriad of sarcastic remarks I could fire back. Then I remembered that Jason was my friend, that he cared about me as a human person, and I him. So I smiled a bit and said, I don't know. I don't get asked out, and I don't meet many guys I'm interested in dating. I'm not opposed to dating or marriage. It just isn't a priority for me right now. Jason nodded, and that was that. If you're a single Christian, odds are you've experienced any number of derpy, aka awkward and dumb, situations in the church. Like a stranger making comments about your biological clock or being expected to volunteer for everything under the sun because of how much free time you must have. Did you know that you have an instinctive plan of action when put in these situations? On February 11th, I'm releasing the Single Christian Derptitude Test. This free quiz reveals your social superpower in derpy situations. It's like an aptitude test. We're dealing with the weird things people say to singles in church. To get first dibs, head to marybesafer.com backslash subscribe to get on my weekly email newsletter. That is a wrap for season five. Thanks for listening, y'all. Unsuitable with Mary B. Seyfried is produced by Ashley Hong. Sound engineering is by Andrew Kim. And the theme music is by Chad Rollinson. Catch y'all later.